Those brave souls. Uh, what an awesome, awesome morning. I'm so excited. What was so cool, and we didn't even plan this, but we stripped down worship on the day we talk about sex. And so I thought that worked out really well. Um, and it, that was so powerful, beautiful, beautiful time of worship. Um, also, a, uh, the fragrances, they're Spice Bomb and Flower Bomb by Victor and Rolfe. And so enjoy it. They're great, amazing fragrances available at Macy's. And uh, on your way out of church today, no one's leaving empty-handed. We have samples, uh, fragrances of Spice Bomb for men and Flower Bomb for women. So as you leave, you're going to smell good for your significant other, okay? So we, we got you covered. Uh, yeah. I love fragrance, so... I, I clap for fragrance all the time. I heard a story about a minister who was preparing to preach his sermon on sex, and his wife was a little surprised and a little bit embarrassed about it, and she said, honey, sex is a private matter. Maybe you should pick something else. Why don't you preach that sermon on water skiing that you had said you wanted to do? And after a bit of more talking, she convinced him that the water skiing route was the way to go. And Sunday morning comes along, and the wife's feeling a little bit under the weather, so she stays home, doesn't go to church, and her husband goes, and he goes, you know what, I'm going to scratch the water skiing sermon, and I'm going to do a sermon on sex. And that afternoon, uh, some of her, the girl, uh, his wife's friends came back to the house, and they began to rave about the sermon. It was just so engaging. It was, uh, he spoke with such vigor and such enthusiasm, and then... The wife is puzzled, and she goes, vigor, enthusiasm? He's only done it twice, once at the lake and once at the river, and he hurt himself both times. <laughs> As a pastor, we know of three sermon series where attendance will grow in your church. The first one is sex, okay? Sex. The second one is a sermon series on the end times, and then the third is, will there be sex at the end times, okay? <laughs> Those are the three that'll grow your church. Here's our starting point. God designed sex and marriage, and they are good. Uh, God designed sex and marriage, and they are good. The church in general has done a really bad job throughout its history on teaching about sex and marriage. Roughly the first 1,500 years of the church, uh, the Bible was taught by celibate males. Uh, and so the teaching on marriage and sex was all done by guys who were not married and had never had sex, mostly. And so uh, a natural byproduct of this was something like uh, a Christian culture that says, sex is bad, save it for the one you love. What? That's what the Bible has to say? It's definitely not the way the picture is painted in the scripture. So let's start with Genesis 1, the beginning with man and woman. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female who created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So God creates us in his likeness and his image, and his first words recorded are, be fruitful and multiply, which is another way of saying, go have sex, okay? Go have sex. Then if you were to continue reading, he says, I give you all the plants to eat. So the two first things God says to man and women is go have some sex and then go get something to eat afterwards. Okay? <laughs> I love this God. He is a good God. 
Genesis 4.1 says this, Adam made love to his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Uh, you may recognize an older passage of scripture, an older uh, translation that says, Adam knew his wife and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. Knew. The Hebrew word is yada, yada, and it means to know. Uh, I thought it was funny as a 12-year-old reading this going, Adam knew his wife Eve and she became pregnant. What does knowing someone have to do with what happens before a baby's born? Um, yet the Bible uses this terminology over and over again in regards to sex. Uh, it means to know. It's not just a physical act. It's about a deep knowing with a person with a lifelong commitment. Knowing a person's heart, their emotional side, their spiritual side. In sex, you become completely vulnerable and naked before the other. And this is meant to be a beautiful thing, a holy thing, a profound thing. God redeems us not as souls, but as wholes, right? We are physical beings, emotional beings, spiritual beings, sexual beings. And sex isn't just an act of the body. There's something deeply spiritual going on there. Uh, sex is the intermingling of souls. When you have sex, you share everything. It's not just an act. And that's why sex, at its best, is an expression of love and the expression of a heroic fidelity to one person in the covenant of marriage. It's an expression of love, an expression of a heroic fidelity till death do you part. Our starting point is this. Sex is good, not bad. God created it. He designed it. Now, we, as Christians, have often focused in on the dangers of sex at the expense of the beauty and goodness of it in a deep intimacy in a married relationship. But there are dangers with sex, and there are a lot of ways we have gone wrong when it comes to sex, and we feel the effects of it in our everyday lives. And we're going to read some passages of Scripture, but before we do, before we go into what the Bible says about sexual sin, I just want to say this caveat. I want to say two things. Number one, the Bible does have quite a bit to say about sex and sexual sin, but it says a whole lot more about loving God and loving your neighbor. The number one sin that Jesus rebukes in the Gospels is, has, is not adultery, it's not sex. The number one thing that Jesus calls out again and again is the judgmentalism of religious people. And so before we read these passages, I want us to understand that. Are you a bad person if you've messed up sexually? No, you're human. God gives us parameters not to be a killjoy but to save us from the hurt and pain that our own bad decisions lead to. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price so you must honor God with your body. Our culture is very similar to the Corinthian culture in that it has, we have dislocated sex from where it should be. Uh, sex is an activity. You go there, have a little sex, go home, have a little sex, get in front of a computer, have a little sex, and we've dislocated it between two people in a lifelong covenant relationship. It's just something you do. It's a hobby. Paul says run from sexual morality. No other sin affects so differently your body than this one. 
another translation says that sexual sin is different than all others. What do you mean? Does God just get super bent out of shape? If we listen to radio preachers often, we'll think that God especially gets bent out of shape about sexual sin. When Paul says it's different than all other sins, I don't think he's saying that, it, it, uh, that it's different because of the way it affects God. I think it's different because of the way it affects us. The reason sexual sin is in a category of its own is not because of God's response, but because of ours. Take the following example. There was once a young woman late one evening taking a shower. She gets out of the shower, her husband's upstairs, and she hears the doorbell ring. She puts a towel on real fast, goes to the door. It's a next door neighbor. Next door neighbor stands there and he sees her in the towel. And he, he says to her immediately, I will give you $400 if you just drop the towel real fast. She pauses and thinks about it, drops the towel, picks it up, puts it back on. He hands her $400. She closes the door and her heart's like, so worth it. She goes upstairs, and, and the husband says, Honey, uh, I, I thought I heard the doorbell ring. What was it? Oh, it was just our neighbor. And then the husband says, Did he drop off the $400 he owes me? <laughs> Why is that different? Why does the story make no sense if the neighbor asked her to go steal a picture frame or something, right? It makes no sense because it is different. It is different. Ever notice how we can make a joke about other mistakes we've made, but we can't joke about the bad sexual decisions we've made? There's a heaviness to it. There, this is where design and dysfunction kind of exhibit, exhibit themselves. Uh, women, when you have sex with a man, uh, your brain releases a chemical uh, called oxytocin. And there's only one other time in a woman's life when that chemical is released from her brain. Breastfeeding. In the moment where you are supposed to be bonding with a child for their whole lives, oxytocin is released. That our bodies are, are naturally built for covenant relationship with one person. One person. It's to look someone in the eye and say, I'm committing all of me to you. I want all of you. A boyfriend relationship, as close as it may feel, can only declare, I might want all of you. There are a lot of reasons to dislocate sex outside of its design. Here are three common excuses that we often use to justify sex outside its design. Number one, we're already married. We're already married. I know we're having sex, but the way I see it, we're already married in God's eyes. I don't need the state of California to tell me I'm officially married. So instead of arguing about the letter of the law, I'll tell people, great, you're married. How was the wedding? How was the celebration? Were your parents there? Oh, no, 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 we're, we're, not, really, we're not really married. Oh, well, that sounds like a dysfunctional marriage, marriage, right? You're married in private, but you're not married in public. Um, sexual issues aside, you guys are pretty broken and dysfunctional right now. What you're really saying is, we're married. Shh, let's have sex. You see, marriage happens in community. And I'm a pastor. I can officiate a wedding right now. Would you like to marry your spouse? Uh, no one's ever taken me up on that. <laughs> Another common excuse. Well, what about test driving a new car? You got you to gotta know if the car's a good fit before you buy the car. Okay. 
Okay, let's just take that metaphor and let's run with it. A test drive is a drive around the block. That's a bit of kissing, okay? When you test drive a car, you don't go on vacation with it. You don't take it to the grocery store, <laughs> see how big the trunk is. <laughs> Couldn't help myself there, sorry. Excuse number three, I couldn't help myself. There's nothing I could have done. Couldn't help myself. I tried. It's amazing what can stop when someone else is in the room, right? I was a youth pastor for 11 years. It's amazing to see how a couple of teenagers find distance between them on a couch when mom walks in, right? I can't help myself. I can't help myself. I can't help myself. The door opens. Oh, <laughs> nothing's happening. We need to practice God consciousness because there's always somebody else in the room. There's always somebody else in the room. God never leaves you, forsakes you. We're not getting away with what we think we might be getting away with. Sex is so much more than just an internal desire. It's about a deep knowing. You're giving yourself fully and forever. No shame, no fear, no reservations. Deep love and commitment. Giving yourself wholly to another. That's the kind of sex we should desire. Now, some of you might be in, in, in and out of relationships, sleeping from one person to the next. And I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to wreck your sex life. I'm trying to give you a real one. The kind, the, the kind that we dream of, the forever between two people, the deep love that we all long for. If you listen to the radio or TV, you've probably heard the phrase game, game. And uh, used this way, and it, it's, it's in reference to someone's ability to be able to track people of the opposite sex. Game might be a guy who has all the right pickup lines. He knows the right restaurants to take her to the right things to say, the sweet, funny, cute texts, right? He's got game. All in, a, all in a way to try and get people to sleep with him. The more women he sleep, sleeps with, the more game he has. He might have one move, and that move works 60% of the time. It works every time. And he drives on a new woman over and over again. He's got game. You know what game is? Game is a thousand moves on one woman for 60 years. That's real game. I like it. That's truth. It's not about going from one person to the next. It's about real game. One person, one lifetime. Sex is the soul's cry for intimacy. To fully know and be fully known by another till death do us part. That's real intimacy. Now for sex in marriage. We should be having loving sex, but some of us are just loving sex. <laughs> we need to discover how to move from one to the other. When I got married, I thought we were going to be having lots and lots and lots of conversations. <laughs> Get your minds out of the gutter, okay? Conversations. There's this book in the Bible devoted to romantic love in marriage. It's called this book of Song of Solomon. And in the ancient world, you, you, as an ancient Hebrew child, you had to reach a certain age before you were allowed to read it, okay? It's erotic. We're going to read it here in church, okay? And it's in the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Song of Solomon 7. Here we go. Solomon speaking to his wife. He's staring at her. He's checking her out. And this is what he says, verse 1. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hand. 
Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. This guy's good. He's sipping wine out of her belly button. <laughs> Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. I don't know what that means. Don't try and use that on your spouse. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. He likes her breasts. And he likes that there are two of them. <laughs> Not one. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bath-Rabim. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon looking towards Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. How beautiful you are. How pleasing, my love, with your delights. Your stature is like that of the palm. And your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree and I will take hold of its fruit. <laughs> May your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine. The fragrance of your breath like apples in your mouth like the best wine. He wasn't in a hurry. He starts at her feet and works his way up. Uh, he's slow. He doesn't go, you have such beautiful eyes and those breasts. Uh, no, 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 he's slow. He's appreciating every part of his wife's body. For some of you, you might feel like roommates and not lovers. For some of you, you might feel like partners in raising your kids, but not lovers. And as noble as that is, as noble of a cause as raising kids together is, that's not the kind of love and marriage God desires for you. He wants a fulfilling, life-giving, joyful, self-sacrificing relationship with someone else till death do you part. Some might say, well, just the fire went out. It's just, it's not there anymore. It's because you haven't stoked it. Don't stare at the fireplace and blame it for no flames. Light some matches. It doesn't light itself. Think of the married couple, uh, old couple, been married 50 years. And they were at a coffee shop one night, and the husband leans over to his wife. says, do you remember, remember 50 years ago when we went behind that very building and leaned up on that back fence, and you know what happened. And she goes, I remember it. And he goes, let's, let's go, let's go. So this older couple grabs each other's arms, and they sneak over to this fence. There's a police officer across the street, and he saw the couple kind of do this, like sneaking, and they're like, I got to watch these geezers here and see what happens. And so they walk over, and the cop's just kind of watching from a distance, and uh, they start to kiss a little bit, and they lean up on that fence, and then pff, it was electric. They just started rolling and yelling and loud voices and everything. And, it's just, and finally, after like 30 seconds of this, they just collapsed on the floor. And the guys, the police officer's like, I got to know their secret. They got the fire still going. So they, he runs up to the couple. And he says, I just saw what took place, and I just want to say, what's your secret? And the husband, catching his breath, barely be able to speak, says, 50 years ago, this fence wasn't electric. <laughs> <laughs> just so we're clear, 
in marriage, you should be having sex with each other, okay? In researching this week, I read in David Snarch's book, Intimacy and Desire, and Snarch, he's a sex therapist, and he makes this point, that every relationship has a high-desire partner and a low-desire partner. Immediately, the married couples are squeezing each other's hands because they know which one is the higher-desire partner and which one is the lower-desire partner. And Snarch tells us, he assures us, this is very, very, very normal, okay? You can breathe a sigh of relief. Sometimes the high-desire partner is the woman. Often, it is the man. The high-desire partner may feel like the low-desire partner isn't loving enough or giving enough, and the low-desire partner wonders why everything comes down to sex. Couples become frustrated with each other. They begin to question themselves. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with our relationship? We're too poop to whoop. Clearly, this di difference in levels of desire requires compromise and sacrifice on both sides. It requires agape love, self-sacrificing love for the blessing of the other. Sacrificial love is one part of the dance that we learn to have a terrific intimate life, deepening in our bond as God intended. We need to see intimacy as part of the mission of marriage. If we see marriage as a mission and our sacred calling to bless our mate then sex and non-sexual touch becomes important ways in fulfilling this calling. When two people are committed to seeking in ways to bless each other, sexual intimacy can only improve. When the lower desire partner sees intimacy as a way to minister and bless the other partner, the act of lovemaking becomes an act of self-giving, a way of making a deposit into the other's account. And then likewise, if you are the high desire partner, offering back rubs, foot rubs, Cuddling for the sake of just cuddling, not for what that could lead to. That's a way to bless your mate. We got to pursue each other. When we become, when we becomes me, I need this, I want this. It's a recipe for disaster in our marriages. I really think that every one of our marriage problems stems from when we put the me before the we. It's about us, together, life. Three practical applications and we'll close. Number one, talk about it. Talk about it. I know this. I, I counsel a lot of couples um, for premarital counseling before they get married. And often, if, if they're waiting uh, for sex before, uh, until the wedding night, uh, they think, well, once we see each other naked, it's really easy to talk about sex. And the married couples go, no, it's not. You can be married 20, 30, 40 years, and it's still an awkward thing to talk through, but you need to be able to talk about your intimate life with your, with your spouse. So, so, so important. Uh, number two, have fun in your marriage. If you don't have fun in your marriage, you may not have a, a marriage much longer. Have fun. Three ways to have fun. Face-to-face -face fun. Dinner, date night, talk. Face-to-face -face fun. Looking at each other. Taking that time, not just eating something in front of the TV and, and the other is doing something else, but rather go out, be intentional, look at each other one-on-one, -on -one, talk about your dreams, your desires, your visions, your hopes, your kids, your family, your love, your intimate life. Uh, number two, side-by-side -side fun. Travel together, get in a car together, uh, serve one with one another, serve alongside one another. 
That's so important. Maybe that's here at the church, um, in ministry. Maybe that's something that else that you guys find. But to serve one another, one of the greatest joys of Sarah and I's relationship is that we've been able to serve together in ministry all this time. Whether it was a youth trip or taking 100 kids to Pismo Beach for the weekend. You know, she's sitting shotgun and, uh, and we're uh, serving alongside one another, helping these kids grow to love Jesus and have a great time doing it. Side-by-side uh, -side fun. Join a bowling league, okay? Uh, have side-by-side -side fun. And then lastly, under the covers fun. You guys will figure that out, okay? I want to invite Steve and the band to come up. Uh, and we'll close with a song. But Do your marriage a favor this week, okay? Grab your spouse and make out for 30 seconds, okay? Now, not if your kids are around. If your kids are around... Make it 60 seconds, okay? <laughs> Scar them. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Pursue your spouse. Pursue your spouse. Make effort. Make effort. We're watching the Olympics. Uh, it's on. We, my wife and I were watching curling the other night. And we're sitting there watching curling, and uh, I start thinking about marriage and stuff. And I know how, how people, many think that, well, once, once, I, once I get married, I, the pursuit stops. No. You don't stop pursuing her once you get her. That's like training for four years, and then once you get to the Olympics, you take it, the time off. I'm good. Marriage is where the adventure and the real games begin. Pursue your spouse. Send them an amazing text message this week. Send them several. Just what you love about them, just randomly. Uh, see if that draws you closer to one another. Encourage them in their walk with the Lord. Encourage them. Uh, tell them how beautiful they are. Work your way up from the feet all the way up. I'll say this. We have to talk about this stuff. Uh, we listen to it on the radio. We see it in every advertisement. Uh, we see it in the movies. And even if we didn't, we'd still be thinking about it. We got to talk about it. And I know this. Uh, many of us have some brokenness in regards to this issue, sexual intimacy. And I just want to let you know that maybe you've, you've closed people off for fear that that woundedness will be exposed or that woundedness will get even deeper. And I just want to let you know, God wants to bring healing of that. God loves you. God is with you. God believes in you. I was taught my whole life, believe in Jesus. And I'm growing to a greater understanding that Jesus believes in me. And he believes in you. And he, you, he, he can bring healing. He is the great physician. He can give us a better perspective, a more holistic vision of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to truly love, sacrificially love our spouses. God, I pray in Jesus' name that no matter what brokenness we might experience of past decisions, we pray, God, this that if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come. Let us live out that identity, Jesus. God, I pray that as we have closed off our hearts, many of us 
from anybody knowing anything about this. God, may we open up our hearts to you because you already know. You know our brokenness and you long to heal us. And so, Father God, would you move in our hearts? Would you awaken a new love for you and a new love for our spouse during this season? And God, for those who are dealing with uh, sexual temptation before marriage or outside of marriage, God, I just pray for healing and for openness and honesty to get real with you and to get real with someone else to be able to be healed from that, God, to, to be able to move forward, to be who they're called to be as a future husband, as a future wife. God, you save us as wholes, not just as souls. So redeem us. Redeem our intimacy lives, God. I pray for fire in the marriages here at Prodigal Church, God. I pray for the great love, the deep love, the love that's not based on emotion or feeling or warm fuzzies, but the love that is based on a choice for better or for worse, to love and to sacrifice for the benefit of the other. Pray for giving love, not taking. We pray that for all the marriages and the families here. God, we give you everything. We thank you, God, that you're resurrecting. The resurrection wasn't just something that happened on Easter 2,000 years ago, that it's something that you're doing now, that the, the resurrected king is resurrecting me, that you are bringing life to dead places. We pray for more of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing this last song together? crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now the Savior knelt to wash our feet now at his feet we bow Oh